everybody. It is time once again for the Everybody Trades podcast. And as per usual, I'm your host, John Miller. Hope this is finding you well on this hot, super duper hot afternoon here in Missouri. Before we get started here, I actually want to go back to last episode and issue a slight correction. I believe I referred to the sort of Harvard comedy ring as the Harvard Review. Well, that's a literary journal. Clearly what I meant is the Harvard Lampoon, is the place where Conan O'Brien and other Simpsons writers and other famous comedy people have come previously. So, clearly, now you can sleep at night if that's been bothering you. And now, to our regularly scheduled program. With the continuing trade war talks escalating in this country and the discourse on TV and the radio and on the in a newsprint, I'm struck by this very common thing that stock news does each and every day, and that's always this. If the stock market goes up or the stock market goes down, every single day there's a reason for it, or at least supposedly there's a reason for it. I would tell you that there is a conventional status quo reason for it. For instance, when the market goes up a lot, they'll be like, oh, well, it's because uh, it seems like there's going to be peace in North Korea, or it seems like the trade talks are, are, are de-escalating a little bit. The reality is, is sometimes they're right, sometimes they're not. I just would point out that nobody actually knows. No one could possibly know why any one person is selling a stock unless you ask them. So if we're going to take millions and millions of people and ask them why they're making that transaction, we're going to have a whole lot of different answers. So this idea that there's one reason, quote unquote, why the stock market made its move, let's all be very careful to not just buy into that. And that's why, that's another big reason why I'm more of an individually focused guy than as far as a broader market guy. Because frankly, judging the broader market, that is, in my opinion, once again, next to impossible. I'm, I'm going to have to judge all of the economy, all of every single person's decision making. How realistic does that sound? Now, on the other hand, can I game, hey, I think Spotify is going to do well in the future based on people's love of Spotify, their, you know, just their general love of the company and their behaviors and how I think people are going to continue to behave going forward. Well, clearly, I've done pretty well on that. Spotify's up about 25% as we speak here. So my point is, and I haven't really made a lot of comments about where I think the stock market is going. I do, however, think, once again, just to emphasize that this coming earnings period, which for me essentially starts tomorrow with Citigroup and J.P. Morgan, I think it's going to be a good earnings period. So overall, at least for this period, let's sit back. Let's watch. Let's not do anything rash. Let's not make any crazy decisions. Let's just sit back and listen for a while and get a real good read on all of our different positions and just listen to me. I'll hold your hand. I promise. I also happen to be an Action Alerts Plus subscriber, which is Jim Cramer's uh, his subscription service where you get to follow his portfolio along, uh, his charitable trust, as it were. He gives all of his gains up to charity every year, or every quarter, however he does it. I'm not sure legally or ethically or any of that stuff, how exactly he's set up his trust, but that's the basic idea. 
Not totally dissimilar from what I'm trying to do at Everybody Trades, where you can follow along my little portfolio for free. How about that? So, anyway, the point is, Action Alerts Plus. Here was a note that, that I came across today that actually had to do with the position that I'm holding. It's the Westrock Company. Now, if you've never heard of Westrock, join the line, because there's a lot of people who have not heard of Westrock. But this is an important company. Here's why. They make a lot of the sort of shipping material and packaging goods that are a part of your Amazon packages or any type of package you might get from a UPS or a FedEx or a DHL. Here's what AAP had to say. I'm going to quote here from their, from their report. This is the important sentence right here. This price hike, quote, is another example of how favorable conditions in its market have allowed West Rock to increase prices during a time when its own internal input costs are expected to fall because recycled fiber has gotten cheaper. Bingo, bango, bongo. As an investor, as somebody who's holding West Rock, which let me look and see where I'm at here. So we're down about... 7% in West Rock. Obviously, I'd rather be up 7% or 70% or 700%. But currently, the reality is I'm down 7% in West Rock. But what I just heard there gives me tremendous conviction. Again, their prices are going to go down, but their, their, their input costs, the cost that they're using to make their products, is going down while sim- simultaneously... Westrock has pricing power. They're going to be able to put in through in they're going to be able to pass through price increases. That is what we call the golden goose right there. That is perfect. The holy grail of investing right there. I'm my costs are going down, but I'm able to raise my own prices. Wow. I mean, I'm at, like Netflix, like I said in the previous episode, is able to raise their prices, but their costs are going up too. So that's something that you have to balance and always keep in mind. Westrock does not have this problem. And they also are in a secular bull market in my mind, which is there's going to be more and more and more online shipping and just shipping period as we go forward. What does that mean? More, rest, more Westrock, no matter what, is being shipped. Now, transitioning here back to the tariff war and the potential trade war that you're hearing lots about in the mainstream media, I am certainly of in the camp that tariffs are bad, that escalating tariffs are going to be bad. Any kind of tariff is always going to be bad, ultimately, for most of the consumers in America versus, you know, the special interests that those tariffs are trying to protect. Now, I've heard lots of ostensibly conservative, economically free market oriented people are defending these tariffs in that as a way to combat the Chinese tariffs. See, they're saying, well, yes, it isn't. You're right, John, for instance, you're right that yes, it's going to raise prices on consumers, but it'll be worth it in the long run if this causes the Chinese to, to lower their tariffs in response. Well, if indeed that happens, yes, that would be a good outcome in the long run. I have to admit that. If ultimately in the long run this results in everyone's tariffs coming down, that's a good result. 
Unfortunately, I'm not so sure that that history says that's what's going to happen. Now, you can say, well, it's different this time. The United States is in a different position. China's in a different position. All right, fair enough. Times are different. I, I grant you that. And in fact, the interesting thing, the, the, the good point that these people make is that, yes, the Chinese government, the Chinese economy does need the American consumer to continue to buy their products. So what the pro-tariff people would argue is that while this will be this might end up being a trade war, it will be one that the United States will ultimately easily win. Well, it's my contention that actually, yes, the United States economy is far stronger and, and better than the Chinese economy in the long run in particular because the Chinese economy is so built upon really nonsense it's built it's built upon central planning and lots of of central ideas that devote all the resources or at least where they think all the resources should go you've seen them build cities where nobody wants to move for instance it's the these types of things like these chinese ghost cities that make me believe that yeah there is tons of malinvestment and bad decision making happening in beijing and yes America can outlast China if this is a war, if you will. But that's again, that's part of the problem, though. See, if I'm if if it's between if the trading that I'm doing, if you think about a trade between you and American person and another person in China, there's no war here. In fact, it's the opposite of a war. Trade is a mutually agreeable thing. Otherwise, the two people wouldn't have agreed to do the trade. If I'm buying something from somebody in China or selling it to them, clearly one of us has to give up some money. So we each value what we've gotten more than what we've given up. That's the definition of a good trade. The point is only when the U.S. government and the Chinese government suddenly get become the third party that wedges their little way in between the two of us an American and a Chinese person who just happen to live on opposite sides of the world, when these two entities, these government entities, squirm their way in between us and say, whoa, hold on, wait a second, where's my cut? You see, that's when it becomes a trade war. Let's be really, really clear. We're not in a war with people in Iowa or Tennessee or Alabama or Georgia. Now, you can be competitive with these people if they're in your same industry, but if you're trading with somebody, this idea of a deficit is frankly absurd. Of course I have a trade deficit with Amazon if I'm buying way more. Like Amazon doesn't buy anything from me, for instance. Neither does Best Buy or my grocery store. They buy nothing from me. But I wouldn't say that this is an unfair relationship. I'm voluntarily giving up my money to get food at the grocery store. This is a good outcome for me, not a bad outcome. Now, the irony is there were seven to eight years or so during the Great Depression when the U.S. had a trade surplus. Was that good? It seems to me that the most if we look at this at an individual level and not at a state level, the people who have the most wealth always are going to be at a quote-unquote trade deficit. 
they're going to be buying more things than they're necessarily producing if they don't have to produce. They're retired people, essentially, if you look at it that way. If you're retired and you're no longer working, you're still going to be consuming. But this is your choice. You've chosen You've chosen to value your leisure and you're not working or spending time with your grandkids or writing the great American novel. Whatever you feel is a better use of your time. The proof is in the pudding. You're not at a disadvantage here. Nobody has taken advantage of you. You've made the call. So let's not pretend like, let's not fall into the idea of trade deficits and trade surpluses as somehow some evil thing or something that must be equalized by a central force. What exactly would that look like, by the way, in a world where China and the United States, they somehow bought and sold the exact same amount of goods to each other and not I mean how does that even make sense it also ignores something called comparative advantage which is an important concept for instance like comparative advantage again let's take it to the individual level take my wife and I for example now obviously there are some things that I do around the house some things that she does around the house because we have a division of labor Let's say that my wife was literally better than me at everything. She's better at cooking, better at cleaning, better at landscaping, better at literally every single thing around the house you can think of. She is better than me at it. Even if that's true, there's still going to be a comparative advantage for me to do some of the lower, more menial things like mowing the lawn or landscaping or doing the dishes, whatever it might be, So she can do the things that she is the very best at because we only have so many hours in the day. So therefore, even if the guy you hire to mow your lawn is actually worse at mowing your lawn than you would have been, it's still worth it because of the comparative advantage of the time you would have wasted, quote unquote, mowing your lawn. Does that make sense? So therefore, even if the United States is better and more efficient at producing everything than China is, it's still going to be to the United States comparative advantage to allow China, not allow, that's the wrong word, but to purchase things from China that they produce perhaps technically at a more inefficient level than America. But again, the opportunity cost of trying to produce everything would be enormous for America, clearly. So, obviously, again, if anybody is getting screwed, it's the Chinese consumers themselves by the Chinese government constantly inflating their currency, constantly getting in the middle of free exchange and their own property rights of their citizens. That's where the real trouble comes in, not with the ability for people in other countries to trade with each other. Let's be very clear about that. There's also been this idea floating around in the news by some people who are, like me, concerned about the trade wars, but for different reasons. See, these people say that, oh my goodness, you see China, oh my God, they're a dictatorship. And that means that they don't have the slow inefficiencies of our democracy, of the United States system of checks and balances. That means the Chinese authorities can just ram through whatever policies they want. There's a huge problem with that logic, too, because, in fact, the most free places on Earth are the ones that are the most wealthy. It's not 
It's not the, the dictatorships of the world that actually work. If that were true, no place has ever been more dictatorial than the Soviet Union. If the dictatorship were the efficiency that an economy needed, quote-unquote, then the Soviet Union would still be alive and thriving today. And in fact, it should have been the United States that collapsed then. Because clearly, while the United States is not a free economy, 100% by any means, it's certainly freer than the Soviet Union was. To me, these type of people who fall for the idea that dictatorship is better than individual power, to me, that's exactly it. They worship power. They don't worship actual good ideas or, or real innovation. They just worship power and believe that the more we concentrate power in the right people, quote unquote, then the better our worlds will be. I'm not sure what evidence exists to support that particular point of view. I'm waiting. Now, of course, if I were the dictator of America, I wouldn't impose tariffs on anyone. And I would simply lower all the barriers to entry I possibly could. Barriers to entry for any business. Lower taxes. Lower regulation. Make this and and protect the property rights of all, by the way. So that way, you're not just running roughshod. Companies aren't allowed to run roughshod as they obviously do in China and to a lesser extent in the United States with their environmental uh, abuses, the way they're just able to dump toxic materials onto public lands, public streams, public this, public that. Another problem with public property is the tragedy of the commons where the public will abuse something that they don't own but are allowed unfettered access to. That happens over and over again throughout human history. And just one final note on China. Lest you misunderstand, I know that China is a much better place to live than it was even 30 years ago. See, what's interesting to me, remember a few episodes ago, I remarked that the Hanoi Hilton in Vietnam was sort of a, it was almost a humorous insult to Vietnam and the sort of lack of wealth and, and actual hotels that they had. And it made me think, oh, well, obvi- there must be a Hanoi Hilton now, a literal Hilton hotel. And indeed, there's four-star Hilton hotels in Hanoi today. Well, similarly, many years ago, the Chinese stereotype was a bunch of Chinese people crowded on the streets riding bicycles. Have you noticed you don't really see Chinese people on bicycles anymore? That's because that while China remains a communist, socialist-type nation, it's become more free than it was 20 or 30 years ago. And even slight moves toward freedom always result in better outcomes for the people. And that's why I would question anybody who is currently saying that, well, hey, what's happening in Venezuela? That's not real socialism. My question for those people would be, is it too much socialism? Is it too much power? Or is it not enough? When you say it's not real, are you saying it's too much? Or do they not go far enough? My contention would be that I don't know that either one of those answers is good for you. Because if it's not enough, then why didn't it at least get a little better instead of extremely worse in Venezuela? Because when you make, again, with China, 
has gotten relatively more free. While it's certainly not a free economy, it is relatively more free, just as Vietnam is, and just as South Korea became in a similar time period. But yet, you're saying, you take the other side and you say, oh, it didn't go far enough. Once again, why are slight moves toward the light of your opinions, why, is that, why, do, why do we not see slightly better results? Because we're just supposed to ignore results and wait for the utopian communism, the real communism to come? Yeah, sorry, not falling for that. Your logic, you're going to have to do better than that. You're going to have to do better than it's not real socialism. I'm sorry, you, you can't, especially when the Sean Pins of the world have been running around and putting Hugo Chavez up on a pedestal and saying, hey, this is the place, this is the model. You don't get to reverse now without a really good explanation. And with that, I'm going to leave it here. Good luck, Venezuela. I'm rooting for you.